My friend Drew Allen. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As die-hard conservative to this guy for wisdom. Joe Biden, he's just so brave. He's so courageous. He's, he's, he's going into a war zone himself and he made it out alive. Like, you know, he's the Terminator or something like that. I, I, it's, you know, this part of this was really a rehabilitation tour that Joe Biden just, just, just embarked on to rehabilitate, of course, his image of being a loser, but you, you really can't hide it. I mean, the problem is the guy is so uh, far gone and so feeble that anytime you put, you put the camera on this guy, you see the truth. And so all the media can do is then lie to you. You know, it, it's like having a, a voiceover of something you're watching telling you that it didn't happen. And Joe Biden, you know, it was an amazing moment. I don't know if you saw it. There were two falls that took place on this trip. Now, the first one was down the stairs. And look, it looked brutal. Uh, they fell all the way down. And, and, and you know, people were suspecting that it was Joe Biden. I, I don't think it was Joe because Joe Biden would not have survived a fall like that. He, he just wouldn't have. Although he does have this this giant bruise, this 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 uh, dent in his head, I've noticed. But Joe Biden did fall. We could see it with our own eyes very clearly going up the stairs into the air into Air Force One <clears throat> at a later time. And I think it's a perfect analogy. Well, it's it's not an analogy. We saw it. It's it's failing upwards is what we call it. And that's what Joe Biden has done all his life. And these Democrats do as well. But it, it was astonishing. Uh, the media is such a joke, the way they're trying to pitch this. You know, they're, <laughs> you know, go ahead. Go ahead. And actually, let's start with cut five, Captain. So the media is so stupid and so disgraceful. <laughs> that they don't realize that they're giving the game away even while they're trying to pull the wool over our eyes, if you will. So here's a reporter on the ground in Kiev, or Kiev as it's pronounced, I suppose, these days. And, and, and I want you to hear him talking about the sirens going off in Kiev. Go ahead and play cut, cut uh, five, Captain. Go. Um, I've been here for the past five days. I have not heard any explosions. I have not heard any air sirens until about half an hour ago, right when uh, President Biden was in the center of Kiev, as, as Clarissa was, was just mentioning. So, so he's admitting he's, he's been in Kiev for five days. He hasn't heard any sirens. And the very moment that Joe Biden steps into the center of Kiev, like a, a theatrical production, the, these, these sirens suddenly go off. And for him, that's supposed to be evidence. That's evidence of, I, I mean, he's telling us, he's telling us the, 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 the theater display went off without a hitch. Joe Biden steps into the center of Kiev and the, the sirens have not gone off for five days and suddenly they're going off. Uh, Kiev, by the way, I can think of a lot of places. <laughs> I, I'm trying to hold it together. I can, I, can th I can name a number of places that are safer. Sorry, that are more dangerous than Kiev, including East Palestine. East Palestine, Ohio is more dangerous than Kiev. Chicago is more dangerous than Kiev. The southern border is more dangerous than Kiev. In fact, Israel is more dangerous than Kiev. <laughs> and, you know, remember, Donald Trump's the one who I think it was 2017 or maybe 2018. Uh, he went and visited the old uh, city of, of Jerusalem. He was the first uh, president to ever, ever do that. That was historic. But this is supposed to be historic. Joe Biden goes to Kiev. And I would remind you, too. It's, Joe Biden is so brave. He's so brave. He is following on, uh, in the footsteps, on the heels of other brave people like Mitch McConnell. <laughs> like, like Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, Sean Penn, a bunch of women actresses, too, who've all been to Kiev before before Joe Biden. I, can't, I don't know if I can keep it together for the show. I just, this is so preposterous. And he gave, so he survived Kiev. The, the, the mighty Joe Biden survived Kiev. He didn't die in a bomb, a bombing 
raid of Kiev on his visit that was, you know, uh, a surprise to everybody, apparently, except the media that was there to greet him and was prepared to interview him and film his every move for this uh, propaganda. But uh, then he went on to Poland and he said important things to the the crowd of 30,000 people. It, it was a big crowd that was there to receive him. And, you know, I can really understand why um, in a meeting he said that growing up in, uh, I don't know, wherever he grew up. Where, where was he? Uh, Scranton, Pennsylvania, before he was in Delaware or something like that. But, you know, he said everybody there, <laughs> you know, it was a bunch of Polish people. A bunch of Polish people were there. And he, he just, you know, he felt out of place, uh, you know, because he didn't have a ski, an SKI at the end of his name. I mean, this guy makes up stuff everywhere he goes. And he doesn't realize that he says these things and they're not funny. And they're not complimentary. I mean, they're just stupid. And they're outright lies. Meanwhile, you have Donald Trump, by the way, who, who may have just secured the nomination for, um, for, 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 uh, for president in, of the Republican Party after his visit to East Palestine, Ohio. Well, he goes and he goes into a McDonald's there. And the whole staff is there. And they're all excited to see Trump. I mean, Trump was received like the president of the United States, which you notice Joe Biden is never received like the president of the United States when he does make a rare appearance. That's why his appearances have to be so controlled, because despite the fact that apparently he got more votes than any president in American history, you can't seem to find any Biden voters anywhere he goes in the country. Let's go Brandon. That's what meets him everywhere he goes. And so anyway, Trump, in contrast, he goes into this McDonald's and, and, and he says to them, you know, that, that he jokes that, you know, I, I probably know this menu better than all of you. And it's self-deprecating humor, obviously, because one, Trump's overweight. Trump's in a McDonald's. And the joke, of course, is on Donald Trump, who is suggesting, I can't believe I have to explain this to the libs. They can't understand the joke. But the joke is, hey, you guys work at McDonald's, but I spend more time here than you. I know this menu better than you because I eat here so much and love McDonald's so much. And the left is, is pointing that out like Trump stepped in it. This is what I mean. With Joe Biden, they have to, they have to, well, it's all fabrication of reality. So they tell you what you didn't see when it comes to, to Joe Biden. They do the same thing with Trump. But anyway, it's, you know, I know why. Joe Biden loves going to Europe, going to these other places that aren't in America. It's because he got a crowd or they forced a crowd and found a crowd and made sure a crowd of 30,000, that's what they say, people were there to watch his pathetic speech. And he cannot get three people to watch him speak in the United States. So I'm sure he did love being in Poland because he's never been received that way in the United States of America. And, you know, he's out there claiming about what a success it was because it was a big crowd. I haven't heard the media. I haven't seen the media either picking apart images, satellite photos even of the crowd, counting them individually to make sure it's not one person less than 30,000 to call him a liar and to diminish the size. That's what they did remember with Donald Trump every time. It is inauguration. Everywhere he went, they tried to diminish the size of his crowds when you could see how huge they were. No Democrat's ever been loved like that. And that's what Trump showed again in East Palestine. I mean, you know, I talked to people after, after. I mean, look, Trump, he flew uh, his plane down there and it was pretty remarkable. Uh, one, you saw the outpouring of love. You, you just see this bond that's not artificial or superficial. Trump, despite being a billionaire, is able to connect with the American people. I, I told you before that this... Uh, the, 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 you know, roughly 5,000, you know, some odd people that live in East Palestine. Um, I mean, they're below the, the average income in America. It's, it's, a, it's a location of really poor kind of blue collar workers. And these are the people that Biden can't get to vote for him. He's lost the blue collar. He's lost the working class. And Trump still has it. And, you know, Trump went to McDonald's. He bought food for first responders. Uh, he even brought in water from uh, his properties, the Trump hotels, and gave it to the people. 
And all the left can do is say, well, he probably uh, used campaign money to pay for it. I mean, they don't know that. But it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing. And it's really amazing, too, and brilliant because you think Joe Biden's going to go visit East Palestine now? Can you imagine the debacle, Captain? After seeing how Donald Trump was received, the love for him still. Can you imagine then the juxtaposition of photos and videos of Biden going to East Palestine and having people turn their backs on him? That's what would happen. So in this disgraceful speech in Poland, Joe Biden, who essentially gave a campaign speech, um, well, he told the, the, the audience that, I don't think I have a clip of this, Captain. I didn't do it. Let me look. No. Well, he said that, you know, you can't go to a city or something like that in America. Everywhere he goes, he sees Ukrainian flags flying. Um, I mean, it's not true, for one. I mean, there are plenty of people on Twitter with Ukrainian flags in their bios. Those are the same people with pronouns in their bios, which tells you everything you need to know. But even where I live, there's no Ukrainian flags flying. I mean, he's, he's creating... And the whole point of this right now, and I, look, I'm going to spend time on this in a little bit. Because I, I really haven't heard anyone else get into this <clears throat> about the reality of the relationship between Russia and Ukraine, to have an adult discussion, which we're going to have today, about what the solutions should be and what should be happening if adults were actually in charge, to have a realistic look at the fact that individual nations have individual desires, needs, self-interests, and you know, foreign policy has to take a realistic look at dealing with a bunch of different sovereign nations And understanding what is realistic, not what is, you know, your own desire to force it on the world. And I guess, you know, I'm I'm sorry that I'm just not on the the bandwagon, even with some Republicans. I mean, you know, forgive me if I'm apprehensive about a potential nuclear war. Forgive me if I'm apprehensive or if I am fearful or if I don't wish and hope to send young American men and women overseas to fight in a foreign world war that's going to result in mass death. I'm sorry that I care about people with children in this country that are of age to serve this country. Forgive me if I don't want them to die. Forgive me if I'm more interested in the United States of America and our interests than the interests of Ukraine or Russia or even China. Forgive me if I'm an American and that's where my loyalty lies. I guess that's a problem today, and that's really the crux of what this administration has shown us, is it not? Their loyalty, they could care nothing about the American people. They don't view themselves as American politicians serving our interests. They view themselves as serving the interests of some global cabal, of themselves, of someone else who is not thinking about us. And that, of course, is not their job and their duty. So anyway, so you've got him surviving the the uh, the, the sirens there. Um, now, I want you to hear, get cut one ready, Captain. This is a media montage. I cut it short, but it's a media montage of Biden, uh, of, of, how, of how they're responding to Biden's visit to Kiev, right? So this is the propaganda machine working overtime, overtime um, to alter the narrative and to cover for Biden. Now, now look. You know, this this trip to Poland, at least, it was announced, at least to my knowledge, on my birthday, which was February 10th. And it was Karine Jean-Pierre, I believe, who, who, who announced this was happening. Now, I don't know when this plan to, 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 to Poland was actually scheduled. Now, obviously, it was meant to coincide with a one-year anniversary, roughly, of this war between Russia and Ukraine. But it's worth pointing out also that This trip happened after, it was announced after the balloon fiasco in America, which revealed Joe Biden and his his administration as feckless leaders, 
cowards um, <clears throat> who were incapable of making correct decisions, right decisions, who lied to the American people and tried to cover it up, and who allowed, if it's true that it was a Chinese spy balloon, allowed it to come all the way from China into the United States and then, you know, go for seven days unimpeded until they finally shot it down after it finished its mission. Now, I don't think Joe Biden, I don't know that he can recover from that. I don't know that he can recover from what just happened in East Palestine, unbeknownst to him. The fact that he was just outshined by Donald Trump. And, you know, I've seen even, look, you know, it is a complex landscape right now on our side. Forget the Democrats for a moment. You know, we have a, a, a war brewing within our own ranks, and that's fine. It's healthy to have debate. Um, but you've got people who have really turned sour on Donald Trump, people who were very loyal to him in the past. They're all in for DeSantis, for example. Or some of them are even cheering this new Vivek Ramaswamy or whatever his name is, Ramaswamy, who I'll get into later at the end of the show. I'm not convinced. <clears throat> to me, he seems just like Obama. Uh, he's a smooth-talking guy, a little too polished. He's got his talking points down that don't come across quite authentic. He says all the right things. But he seems like a manufactured candidate to me who came out of nowhere. And he has uh, worrisome ties, of course, to George Soros and the World Economic Forum, but more on that later. So anyway, I just told you uh, what really happened in, in Kiev with Joe Biden. And I want you to hear the, <clears throat> the media, um, well what they have to say about the the visit. Go ahead, Captain, go. Joe Biden has put solidarity ahead of his own personal safety. Air raid sirens and no real guarantee of security. As air raid sirens blared. This was incredibly dramatic, Andrea. It was historic as well. Historic, timely, and brave. The first American president to go to a war zone with no U.S. military presence for security on the ground. Uh, American presidents have made dramatic trips before Nixon to China, Kennedy, Reagan to the Berlin Wall, and presidents have visited U.S. troops in war zones, but never like this. To find a, a day of this kind of presidential bravery in a war zone, you've got to go all the way back to 1864. With Biden's trip uh, to Europe, you know, he is he is welcomed as not only the, the frankly, the savior of Ukraine, but also the savior of Europe as a whole. It's historic. It's the first time that a U.S. president has gone into an active war zone that the U.S. military does not have control over. And against all odds, um, it was successful. The continuing threat quite literally sounding all around the two leaders. The skies here are not safe. And in fact, an air raid siren went off while President Biden was. Well, I cut it off before probably the best person of all to weigh in was. That'd be Rachel Madcow. I mean, Maddow. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, I mean, you just hear the hyperbole. I mean, this guy, this guy, <laughs> Lisa uh, is weighing in. She said, President Trump is not overweight. He looks amazing. I agree, Lisa. You know, Donald Trump, I mean, this guy's kind of ageless. I mean, you look at, you, you look at, um, at Joe Biden, of course. And, I mean, look at before and after pictures. I mean, you, you go down the rabbit hole and people say it's not even Joe Biden. He looks so different and so bad. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm just saying that's how stark the difference is. I mean, he's bald again. Uh, you hear him talking and it's just, I mean, he's a, she's a shell of a human being. But you're right. You know, Trump actually has been, th- this is what's remarkable about Trump. I mean, he's lost actually a lot of weight. He's done a lot of work on himself to make sure that he is healthy to run again. Um, and you can see it. And you're right. I mean, he's vivacious and he's got energy. And that's the thing. These people are trying to act like going to Kiev was was demonstrating that that Joe Biden somehow had a lot of stamina. If you watch photos of him, the guy is lost. He's meandering. He doesn't have any stamina. I mean, he's got what he's got. He's got the ability to. This is what I mean. The bar has been so lo- has been so lowered in terms of expectations for a human being to serve anything, but especially the president. I mean, you heard the left-wing media after he gave his State of the Union speech, right? They said that it was proof that he was able to run again because he got through the speech. I mean, think about that. Think about that. The bar for running for office and proving that you're intellectually and physically capable of serving the country and serving in the highest office of the land is being able to complete a teleprompter address. What a joke. 
What a joke. Do you have... Is that video ready, Captain? Him falling upwards? Go ahead and play it. Anyway... There he goes. There he goes. Yeah, unbelievable. So anyway, that's the second time. I'm sure the 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 edited images will be coming soon. I can't wait to see the golf balls hitting him that are forcing him down again. Yo, Captain's got it. Of course he does. So anyway, I mean, it's just ridiculous. The skies weren't safe in Kiev. He's the savior of Europe. This is the kind of crap they said about, you know, uh, Barack Obama, right? I mean, he was, he was the Messiah. He was the Messiah. And, you know, it is important. Uh, Captain reminded me, you know, Joe Biden is spending money, American taxpayer dollars on foreigners, on Ukrainians and illegals, but especially on Ukrainians. And Donald Trump is spending his own money on American citizens. So you couldn't see a more stark contrast. Um, all right. So I wanted to get into some other stuff here real quick. Um, look, uh, Biden's going Biden's to announce his, his, his intent to run his candidacy soon. And that's what all this is about, right? I mean, they're using this trip. Um, I, mean, I mean, one, they used the trip to try and escalate World War III. That's true as well. That, that's what this trip did, as I predicted uh, days ago. But, you know, now they're using this trip to try and um, make him look like a strong leader again, right? And, and I'll tell you something. The other reason, the other beneficial reason, look, it's not one thing and nothing else. There's, a, there's, there's many things they do uh, to take advantage of, the, of these, these, these events. But one thing they're trying to do, too, is, you know, Biden's going to run a basement campaign just like he did in, in 2020. That's the plan. They've even announced it, Okay. And and Biden, of course, can't really run from his record, which is a disaster. I mean, he can keep lying about it like he's been doing, but but Americans are feeling it. And they're now seeing the juxtaposition of the way President Trump responds to crises when he's not even president and the way Joe Biden runs away from crises, the way that Joe Biden cares nothing for the American people. And Donald Trump actually has a great authentic love for the American people. <clears throat> so if he can get us involved in this war and escalate things, well, it'll give him cover. He can make his whole campaign about uh, saving Europe and saving democracy abroad uh, instead of focusing on his record. And that's really what it comes down to. And I got to point one more thing out that's just driving me um, insane. One of the leftist talking points about this situation, him going to Kiev, is that, look, Donald Trump never visited Kiev. Donald Trump never went to a nation in the middle of a war. He never did that. Well, that's because there weren't wars under Donald Trump. That's because Russia didn't invade Ukraine under Donald Trump. <clears throat> so it's just hilarious to me <clears throat> that, that they think they this is a gotcha. They gotcha. You know, it's like Biden blew up the world and now he's going to Kiev to meet with Zelensky, the corrupt Ukrainians, and keep giving them money. Trump never did that. Yeah, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Th are you trying to make a point that Joe Biden's great because he's he's in Kiev with a war that he instigated? Give me a break. So there was a girl. Well, it's a it's a woman child. It's a woman child named. Um, what was her name? Emily Coors. Emily Coors. That's right. Now, I've been meaning to get into this for weeks, actually. And I'm glad this popped up because it gives me the perfect opportunity to talk about the witch hunt. That is uh, the left going after Donald Trump. And as many, and it's not just the J6 uh, bullcrap. It's this stuff as well. Now, before I tell you this woman child's age, uh, I'll play the clip. I'll play the clip. Um, because I want you to, in your mind, imagine how old you think this person is. Um, you will be surprised, I think. So... Just to give you <clears throat> give you a little background here, and I'm sorry for my voice and all the throat clearing. You know, <clears throat> I don't know the the temperature dropped out here in Northern California to freezing. Captain was joking with me. Uh, he knows we're you know Californians a bunch of soft people, but I was not born here. I'm a Texan. Still, you, you can't take that out of me. And you know, I told him it was freezing because he he said Captain tells me. Uh, you know, before we get on the show, you know, hey, it's gonna be a few more minutes. Uh, you know, I got I got to deal with my truck. You know, it's starting to snow here. And I said, hey, you know what? It, it's, it's actually predicted that it might snow here as well. Uh, and it's, it's cold. And he said, what is it, 50 degrees? <laughs> no, Captain, it's very cold. It's sub 32. 
All right. <clears throat> all right. So, so <clears throat> first things first, I don't want to do what I've done last episode where I just keep going and then I miss all the important stuff. Well, it's all important, but I miss things that I really want to get to. Now, if, so, so to set the, the stage for you, if people don't understand what's been going on in Georgia, because people didn't even realize this was going on, I think, until this woman child popped up and now everyone's talking about it. But uh, this has been going on for seven months. Do you remember? So in Georgia, of course, Fulton County in particular, there was massive voter fraud. Okay. We know it. That, that's where, for example, I think it was State Farm Arena. Remember when the pipes burst? right? The pipes burst and they had to clear out the arena and stop counting mysteriously. And then we learned that pipes didn't burst. It was a leaky urinal and it was very suspicious and odd. And then on top of that, you had the video footage, right? The surveillance footage of uh, a bunch of counters in there, whatever you want to call them. They were going through the ballots. Well, they they asked all the uh, monitors to leave. They said they were done counting for the night and the monitors left and then all of a sudden, the counters pulled out these unmarked suitcases of ballots and started counting them. And everyone tried to explain this. It never got explained. They just said, oh, it's normal. They don't believe your lying eyes is what they said. But there were other instances of fraud, too. So anyway, we know this took place all around the country, all around the country in many different ways. And so, you know, one of the things that happened was in in. In Georgia, you had um, Raffensperger, and you had um, uh, well, let's 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 stick with him for a second. Ooh, do I have um? Anyway, Raffensperger, who was the Secretary of State, right? And and uh, Donald Trump and his legal team called Raffensperger. Now, mind you, mind you this. So Donald Trump's campaign and his team of lawyers went about digging into all of this fraud, the affidavits, everything themselves, without any help from the Republican administration in Georgia. And they got access to everything they could, the voter rolls that were available to him, and everything else to try and figure out, you know, how many dead people voted and so on and so forth. And the list that they had, Raffensperger's team claimed well, they weren't really accurate, right? So when, when, when Donald Trump's team would say, hey, you know, we've got evidence of, uh, you know, 4,000 dead people voting, Raffensperger's team would come back and say, actually, it was only two. And they'd say, well, that doesn't make sense based on what we have. And they'd say, well, you don't have the accurate info. And so the Trump team would say, well, can you, we put in, you know, 10 requests for this information and you're stonewalling us. You won't give it to us. And they'd say, well, legally, you know, we can't give you the information you need. So they were uncooperative completely. So Trump has this phone call with Raffensperger and, and some of the lawyers there in Georgia. And, and it, you know, you, you have the entire phone call, you know, that the, it was it was released. You can listen to it. And while the left, of course, bastardizes what took place, they're claiming that Joe ba- that, that Donald Trump was, of course, you know, pressuring them to overturn the election results. That's not true. <clears throat> That's not true. And, and, and Donald Trump did nothing illegal. He went through with his lawyers and Mark Meadows as well as chief of staff on the phone. And you see what a sharp brain and mind Trump has, how he's able to retain information and convey it far more than, of course, a Joe Biden, which is easy. But he goes through the list of all these things. And at the end of the day, you know, basically, Trump lost Georgia, supposedly, by a little over 11,000 votes. And so Trump's whole point is, look, you know, we have instances of 18,000 votes here. We have 6,000 votes here. We have signature verifications here. We've got dead voters here. We've got this instance and this affidavit. And Raffensperger just wasn't interested in looking into it. Or he'd say, oh, we looked into it. We looked into it. It's all good. So anyway, his point was, look, we have all these reports. We've, we've compiled all this information, just like this grand jury supposedly is supposed to do. They're going to weigh in on the information and rec- make a recommendation. Well, Trump's team looked at everything, and they made it easy. <clears throat> they gave them the information, said, look, we found X amount of votes. We found X amount of voter fraud. Do your job. You know, we only lost by 11,000 votes. We're confident 
that we won by well over 11,000 that difference. So just do your job. And so the left spun that as Donald Trump trying to, you know, overturn the election results. Well, there was cheating. He asked him to look into the fraud, which there's nothing illegal about that at all. So anyway, my point is that is what this grand jury was assembled to look into, this panel. Illegality by Trump and his associates with regards to that phone call, essentially. So this is a witch hunt. So anyway, so they just finished up the grand jury and the four person, the four pronoun probably is what she'd like to be called. Well, they, they wrapped up the deliberations. They're, they've got their recommendations ready to send to the district attorney. Now, remember, these grand juries can't indict people. Okay, the grand jury is one of the least understood legal uh, entities, I think, in America for people. Okay, grand juries are prosecutors dreams for the first part. Okay, basically, there's not a defense in these grand juries. So, you know, so so the whole point of this grand jury is to 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 basically prove that Trump and his associates committed some crime of overturning election results in Georgia or whatever. I mean, it's bogus, but that's their objective. And so they bring in the prosecution, a bunch of Democrats, and they impanel this grand jury of individuals, and they present them with evidence, and they bring in the Trump associates, and they try and catch them on things that have nothing to do with what they did, entrapment, and so on and so forth. You know, oh, you lied, you obstructed here and there. And so it's, it's, it's a joke. And so at the end of this, the grand jury decides whether to recommend indictments. It's a recommendation. So they're just, they're listening, and then they pass this on to the district attorney's office, and then the district attorney can decide whether or not to then try and prosecute. Okay, do you understand that? Does that make sense, Captain? All right. So anyway, so they finished the deliberations. They've got their recommendations ready to make to the district attorney. And in an unprecedented move, the four-person goes on a media circuit to talk about the grand jury, to talk about what happened. Unbelievable. So play, play the cut, Captain. Go. This is the, 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 the uh, four pronoun. What would your reaction be if the DA decides against bringing any charges after what you've seen? I will be sad if nothing happens. Like that's that's about my only request there is is for something to happen. I don't necessarily know what it is. I'm not the legal expert. I'm not the judge. I'm not the lawyers. But I I will be frustrated if nothing happens. This was too much, too much information, too much of my time, too much of everyone's time, too much of their time, too much argument in in court about getting people to appear before us. There was just too much. For this to just be, oh, okay, we're good. Bye. How would you like to have her making decisions about your future and legality? I'm not a legal expert, but by God, if this person, the, the district attorney, if she doesn't, if she doesn't indict these mother mother truckers, because I spent all this time listening to it, if they don't indict, I'm not a legal guy. I'm not a legal analyst. I don't know much about the law, but if she doesn't indict, I'm going to be mad. I'm going to be mad. Wow. I mean, I want to point something out. They they just spent seven months, right, listening to this crap, which doesn't have legs, which is based on a complete fabrication, a complete lie, just as flimsy as Trump incited an insurrection, just as flimsy as Trump-Russia collusion, all just witch hunts, hoaxes. And they, they devoted seven months to hearing this, this case. But no, no judge, no court in America would listen to any evidence about voter fraud in this nation. I want you to think about that. Because when the left says there was no voter fraud because, you know, courts, you know, uh, said it was, no, no, courts wouldn't hear the arguments. Courts were afraid afraid to stir the pot. They were afraid to do their jobs. And you know what? This, how old do you think she was, by the way? How old do you think she was? You got any guesses, Captain? Did you read her age? 
No, I have him. What, but I think she looks like think? 23, 24. Yeah, she's 30. She's 30. So take that 23 back. <laughs> yeah, so so that's a 30-year-old. Now, when I was when I was well, when I was 23, I was living in Milan, Italy, and I was opening a retail store for Mark Jacobs, the first one in Italy, and then I managed it. And then when I was 25 or 26, I, I moved back to LA, but you know, she's 30. And um, I don't mean to be mean, you know, people are in different situations, but I did read up on her and she's, she, you know, she was in between jobs apparently when she got this opportunity and she was called to be on the grand jury. And then, you know, she didn't have anything going on in her own life. She, she, she didn't have a job. So she volunteered to be the four pronoun, four person and, and, you know, take charge there. And she did. And she claimed she, she, she didn't vote in the 2020 election. I'm sure that's probably true. Um, which means she's no fan of Trump, but, but, you know, I just, I mean, that, that we spent too much time for this not to go anywhere too much time. You, she should be mad that they spent too all this time on a witch hunt. She should be upset that, 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 that she spent seven months of her life looking into something that was stupid. That's what she should be upset about, the fact that all of this time and these resources, I mean, the grand jury, the, you know, this decision was a waste of their time. So anyway, it's just, just ridiculous. But um, so so that was her on, on MSNBC. I want to skip ahead. Play cut four, Captain. Play cut four. And there's a reason I'm doing this. So Emily Kors. She also, that was on MSNBC. She's been making the rounds, like I said. Now, she went on CNN, all right? And I just want you to hear how immature this person is. I mean, she's 30 years old going on puberty, uh, is what I sense. But, you know, one more thing to set the stage here. This judge did not, which is kind of strange, actually, he didn't forbid jury members from speaking to the media. Now, he limited what they were allowed to say, but he didn't outright ban them from doing so. Whereas in a lot of other cases, a judge would say, don't talk about the case at all. Okay? I mean, that's generally the advice. I mean, I don't know why you would, you would want to do this. So my point is, you know, it's a move. To, to, to me, look, this was orchestrated, right? I mean, I don't know for certain, of course, whether the judge wanted to make sure that these people were able to speak to the media because the media already made it a, made made themselves known to want to do this. But my point is, the fact that the judge made it clear that they could speak to the media was a bizarre move to begin with. So this is her on CNN. All right, CNN play cut for Captain Go. Did you personally want to hear from the former president? I wanted to hear from the former president, but honestly, I kind of wanted to subpoena the former president because I got to swear everybody in. And so I thought it'd be really cool to get 60 seconds with President Trump of me looking at him and being like, do you solemnly swear? And me getting to swear him in? I just, I kind of just thought that would be an awesome moment. Oh my God. I, I just thought it was so cool. Like, I could have subpoenaed the president of the United States. I mean, he could have been sitting right there in front of me and I could have subpoenaed him. Can you believe it? Now, I'm joking, but I'm deadly serious here. These people are all over the country. These are the people that are on the grand juries around the country related to J6 protesters and other people. These are the people that are determining their fates and making recommendations. This is what's in America. This is 30 years old. All right. Actually, I guess that was an MSNBC clip too. Well, crap. Well, she went on CNN as well, all right? And, uh, and so here's my point. So the media, CNN, they invited her on, right? Right? Do we understand how this works? They had to go and find her and approach her and say, hey, we'd like you to come on and talk about this. So the networks aren't getting this footage from somewhere else. They're actually responsible for producing this, of asking these interview questions. Now, here is Anderson Cooper on CNN. This is cut three, Captain. 
And, and, and I'll point something out to you that, that's just astounding to me. I think it's a big point. Go ahead and play cut three, Captain, on CNN. Go. I, this person is talking on TV. I do not understand. She's clearly enjoying herself. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, is this responsible? She was the foreperson of this grand jury. This is a horrible idea, and I guarantee you that prosecutors are wincing watching her go on this. But... I was wincing just <laughs> watching her eagerness yes. to, like, you know, hint at stuff. It's painful in that respect. This is a very serious prospect here. We're talking about indicting any person. You're talking about potentially taking away that person's liberty. We're talking about potentially a former president for the first time in this nation's history. She does not seem to be taking that very right. seriously. There's no reason for her to be out talking. No, I mean, there's a, right, it's okay. a prosecutor's nightmare. She, <laughs> okay. Mark my words, Donald Trump's team is going to make a motion if there's an indictment to dismiss that indictment based on grand jury impropriety. She's not supposed to be talking about anything, really, but she's really not supposed to be talking about the deliberations. She's talking about what specific witnesses they saw, what the grand jury thought of them. She says some of them we found credible, some of them we found funny. I don't know why that's relevant, but she's been saying we found this guy funny or interesting. I think she's potentially crossing a line here. It's going to be a real problem for prosecutors. Oh, okay, 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 okay. So, so my point is, these same networks that are inviting her on and conducting these interviews and putting her on the air to talk about this case. The networks are incriminating themselves. The networks are saying, I can't believe that someone would put her on TV. I can't believe that she's out there talking. But the networks had to invite her on the show. Is this making sense, Captain? Okay. So so there's a couple theories out here. I mean, I, I can't for the life of me understand this. I mean, these people are mocking her. They're ridiculing her. They're admitting that this is going to hurt the case. And it's basically delegitimizing any work that they supposedly did. And so this doesn't make sense to me that CNN would, would have her on the network and put her out there. And then CNN would then say, why are networks having her on their shows? It's hurting the case. I don't think this is going to go anywhere. I don't think even this, this district attorney, uh, her name is uh, Fanny Willis. And she's a Democrat, by the way. She hosted a fundraiser for a Democrat candidate for lieutenant governor. Uh, I, I look that that I'm not. She may be a decent a decent district attorney. I'm, I mean that in this case. I don't know. I've read some different things about her. Some things that are positive. Some things like this, which is a conflict of interest. But she is a Democrat. Okay. She hosted a fundraiser for the Democrat candidate for lieutenant governor, and she and that candidate lost. The Republican won actually. But my point is, you know, is this a, is this an out for them? Is this a way for them to say, hey, we want to build this up and make it look like, you know, Trump and his people did some really bad things. But because this girl was on TV, well, it's going to fall apart. It's not because they didn't have the goods. It's because this girl went on TV like the sacrificial lamb and it's her fault. It's not a result of the fact that this was a bogus witch hunt to begin with, that the district attorney who's a Democrat couldn't even prosecute couldn't even successfully, you know, uh, move forward with, even as a partisan, it's because this girl wrecked the whole thing. She shouldn't have been on TV talking about it. So I, I think that's one theory of what they're doing. They know this isn't actually going to go anywhere, but they want to make sure it looks like they really got Trump and they need some fall. They need some excuse besides we're full of crap. And this girl presents it. And, and I think they played this girl. I think they totally played her. I think they took advantage of her. Look how naive she is. Look how excited and eager she is to be on TV, making a fool of herself. This is why I actually despise the Democrat Party. I feel sorry for that girl. She just got played. She was just a pawn. And people are making fun of her all across the country, including the very Democrats who asked her to come on TV. That's how they treat their own. Everyone is just a useful discardable, convenient peace for them in the moment. And the moment they get what they want out of you, bye-bye. And so the Democrats just actually hurt uh, a young girl's life by putting her out there like this. And just wait, mark my words, they're going to blame this girl for the fact that this doesn't go anywhere. And she's going to be hated by Democrats. It's like Adam Kinzinger, useful idiots. That's right, Captain. They're all useful idiots to the Democrats. So that's my theory. We'll see if it plays out. But I can't, I can't come up with anything else that would make sense. I mean, to have a network literally sit there and prop her up, and then the same network saying, 
What? Why would a network have? I mean, it's just, it's crazy. All right, I want to get into um, the uh, uh, Ukraine stuff for a second here. Now, this is not a black and white scenario. I've tried to explain this. And, you know, leftists will call me some, uh, you know, Putin lover. And that's not what I am. I'm an American lover. And I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a lover of peace is what I am. The Democrats are trying to make this about democracy. Uh, Ukraine is a corrupt place. Um, now, Putin should not have invaded Ukraine by modern current standards. Um, but, you know, the, the thing is, this whole territorial stuff, these ambitions of countries, you know, we're very naive the way we look at the world. We act like this stuff shouldn't happen and can't happen when it's been happening since the beginning of human history. I mean, the reason we have like a third of this country is because we won the war against Mexico. Do people understand that? That the reason we have, you know, parts of Colorado and Texas and all of these states, a third of our territory, it's because we won a war against Mexico and it became ours. That's how these things work, right? That's how nations are formed and they're always changing. And now we, we pretend like history started today. But look, in the grand scheme of things, 2023, this moment here, this is a blip on the radar screen of world history, okay? And so the fact that we're sitting here saying, you know, oh my gosh, the savagery, this whatever, I mean, this stuff happens. This stuff happens. I'm not excusing it, but it's human nature and it's what nations do. They're looking out for their own interests. And the problem is the Democrats, because they want to shape public opinion, to support this World War III, well, they're, they're pay, painting an, a dishonest picture, which is Putin's a bad guy and Ukraine, they're good guys. I want to go through a little bit of this article with you. It's actually from the Jacobin, written by Branko Marsetic. Mar, Mar and and it's, it's, it's just a great summary of the reality of what's going on geopolitically in that region. In 2014... All right, Ukraine, far-right extremists toppled the government in the Maiden Revolution. The Maiden Revolution. I'll get into that more in a moment. The Maiden Revolution was something that Donald Trump actually, the media missed it, just a couple days ago, admitted that the, that the State Department participated in. And you must remember that State Department people like Victoria Newland, she's on the record, and I'll get to that in a minute too, on a phone call, uh, basically saying F Europe, when she, when they toppled the government, she had the guy. She had the guy that she chose and anointed to s succeed and become the president of Ukraine. So, you know, there's been an endeavor for a long time, especially by Democrats, to shape Ukraine into something else. We are meddling, right? We're not allowing the Ukrainians to determine their own destiny. We're actually interfering. We're interfering. So January of 2014... You've got uh, protesters, far-right extremists, and they're chanting for the head of the elected president. They're chanting these anti-government slogans. They're occupying government buildings. They're carrying firearms, including hunting rifles and Kalashnikovs. And by the time this is over, the demonstrations are going to lead to the death and hospitalization of both protesters and police. This is not J6. This is a real insurrection, a real insurrection that took place in Ukraine in 2014, and the U.S. government helped facilitate it. Now, you cannot understand the current conflict between Russia and Ukraine without understanding this maiden revolution that took place under Obama in 2014. So at the heart of the maiden protests was the push by some Western governments, especially the United States, to isolate Russia by supporting the integration of peripheral parts of the former Soviet Union into European and Atlantic institutions. And Moscow's pushback against what it saw as an encroachment on its sphere of influence. Now, I want to point something out here before we get into this more in depth. You have to understand there are basically three players right now that matter in this conflict. There's China and its policy and what it wants. It's self-interest. You have China's self-interest. You have Russia's self-interest. You have Ukraine's self-interest, sorry. And fourth, you have the United States' self-interest. And they are not the same. 
China's self-interest is to have a war that expands to include the United States between Russia so that they can make their move and declare themselves the predominant superpower in the world. That's what China wants. What does Russia want? Well, Russia has been isolated increasingly since the Cold War, rightfully so. But nonetheless, the Russians have their own ideas, their own opinions, their own desires. And Russia has seen, since the Soviet Union collapsed after they lost the Cold War, most of their former territories gobbled up by Western influence, gobbled up by NATO, even joining NATO. Now, Ukraine's an outlier. Ukraine used to be part of the Soviet Union. And here's the secret that no one wants to talk about. Roughly 43% of Ukrainians are pro-Moscow. So it's not this simple fact that all of Ukrainians want the United States meddling. All of us, all of them want freedom from Putin. That's not true. That's not true. And you'll find out more about that. So Russia wants territorial expansion. China wants us involved in a war with Russia. And Ukraine wants the United States, at least those in charge. Ukraine wants the United States and needs the United States engaged in this war because they cannot defeat Russia without us. Make sense? All have conflicting things. And if you actually are smart and an adult, you try and create a deal, a peace deal that takes into consideration all of these many influences, all of these many scenarios and get to the best one that's realistic. And the best scenario is not World War III. So in 2014, Viktor Yanukovych was, was taking his second crack at the Ukrainian president. He'd been ousted in the past in 2004 during the Orange Revolution that followed widespread charges of vote rigging in the election that brought him to power. But he earned back the trust by 2014, and he actually became the most trusted politician. So by 2010, international monitors had declared the most recent election free and fair, an impressive display of democracy even. But once in power, Yanukovych's rule was again marred by widespread corruption, authoritarianism, and for some an uncomfortable friendliness to Moscow, which had made no secret of its backing him in the previous election. Now, this is just reality. Just like you have China trying to influence America right now, and influence other nations and get them to do things that are counter to what is in the best interest of their nation, the same things happen in Ukraine, right? You've got politicians that are backed by Moscow. You've got everyone that is self-interested vying for power there. Moscow, of course, wants a cozy relationship between Ukraine, and many Ukrainians want the same thing because Ukraine's economy still depends upon Russia. It benefits from a Russia association. So anyway, so Yanukovych is in this tricky spot. Now, Ukraine relied on cheap gas from Russia, but a plurality of the country, not an absolute majority, but a plurality still wanted European integration. So he's got this tightrope. He towed a fine line for four years. He pleased his base with symbolic and cultural measures like talk of unity or cooperation with Moscow and key industries, even if much of it went nowhere, along with more serious steps like making Russian an official language, rejecting NATO membership, and reversing his pro-Western predecessors move to glorify Nazi collaborators. Now, I want to point this out too. People want to talk about the black and white scenario, Ukraine's such a good place. Let me read that again. Uh, prior to Yanukovych's uh, re-election, his predecessor was an actual Nazi who wanted to put pro-Nazi curricula in schools. So this is like the Democrats in America that want to put critical race theory and gender theory in our schools. Well, you had the Ukrainian government trying to put pro-Nazi propaganda in their schools to glorify Nazis. So here's what happened. Yanukovych um, Well, he worked with and publicly encouraged Western involvement in updating Ukraine's natural gas infrastructure and insisted again and again that European integration is a key priority of our foreign policy. So he kept working toward European Union membership and to that end pursued a free trade agreement with the EU. Now, let me tell you about this 
free trade agreement that happened between Ukraine and Europe that led to this made an uprising. It was a raw deal for Ukraine. Remember NAFTA? We talk about NAFTA all the time, and Trump talked about NAFTA and how it was bad. One side always gets screwed in these free trade agreements. And this agreement between Ukraine and Europe was a crappy deal. It was going to make them more poor. It wasn't in their best interest, but they took it anyway. He agreed to do this deal, okay? And, and the way they describe it, you know, it eliminates tariffs, wage and pension freezes, spending cuts, end of gas subsidies to Ukrainian households. So, you know, it, it's like it, it's, it's really represents austerity. And so Putin saw an opportunity. Putin came in and offered them another deal, a no-strings-attached deal. A loan, the same size as the international monetary funds. And the EU wouldn't do anything about it. They wouldn't match it. They wouldn't change it. They just said, this is all you get. And so Yanukovych, well, he reneged on the EU deal to take the Putin deal because it was in the best interest of his country. So anyway, long story short, after this, violence started to erupt. Protesters were crying treason. They were chanting, Ukraine is Europe. And it got to this boiling point. And, um, you know, demonstrators that were from the far right really made up a lot of these demonstrations, by the way. Uh, they were they were Nazi sympathizers, for example. I mean, that's a line you keep hearing. They try to downplay, but that's the reality out there. All right, so here we go. Um, Yanukovych's response to the movement only further doomed him, first with a brutal crackdown in November that saw riot police violently disperse protesters from Kiev's Maiden Square. And both moves only drew more people to take part, with state violence against the protesters and the release from prison becoming, respectively, the leading motivator and demand. While the Western regions, where most of the protesters came from, and which had historically been ruled by other countries... Uh, some as late as 1939, backed the protest. The Russian-speaking East, ruled by Russia since the 17th century, were alienated by their explicit anti-Russian nationalism. The driver of the violence was largely the Ukrainian far right, which, while a minority of the protesters served as a kind of revolutionary, revolutionary vanguard, Looking outside Kiev, a systematic analysis of more than 3,000 maiden protests found that members of the far-right Svoboda Party, whose leader once complained Ukraine was run by a Muscovite Jewish mafia, and which includes a politician who admires Joseph Goebbels, were the most active agents in the protest. They They were also more likely to take part in violent actions than any group but one. So anyway, a collection of far right activists that traces its lineage to genocidal Nazi collaborators. So here's the thing. The U.S. ends up getting involved. And there's a lot of shady things that happen on here. It's basically been proven. Trump just admitted it. But the outcome of this toppling, well, they, 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 they basically repeated the same corruption that happened before. Uh, you, you had, you, had uh, you know, people who, who helped topple the government find themselves plum rolls in the interim government. Um, you know, and at this time you had Senator John McCain, Chris Murphy, all these people, they were meeting with, with Zvoboda's fascist leader. So they're meeting with Nazis themselves, you know, that are suddenly their friends because they're supporting this maiden movement. Do you understand how messy this is? And by the way, NATO, do you know why also Ukraine isn't in NATO? Because NATO didn't want Ukraine in NATO. Germany and France didn't want Ukraine in NATO. That's the reality. And so my point is, in order, in order to, to combat this and get them NATO membership, you'd have to convince all of the states to agree to admit them, right? One of the reasons they, they, they well, didn't want to permit Ukraine in is because they understood that nearly half the population didn't want to be in NATO, and that was a problem. Why, how are you going to admit a state to NATO when half the population doesn't like NATO? And secondarily, you know, Germany, of course— they had ties to Russia because the Nord Stream pipeline delivered oil, natural gas to them, right? So here's what the U.S. government does. Is, is, this, is this all coming together for everyone? So the West, 
The U.S., for whatever reason, the chemical facilities there, all the money laundering and so on and so forth that's happening in Russia, in Ukraine, you know, we want to tear them away from Moscow. Russia wants to keep them with him. It's tug of war. And so that's why Russia opposes them getting NATO membership, because then they're totally lost forever, essentially. And so Germany wasn't going to vote to upset Russia when they were dependent upon their natural gas from Russia. And so in order to get rid of that, the U.S. government and Joe Biden bombed the Nord Stream pipeline so that they eliminated that. So they could look and say, well, Germany, now you don't really have a choice. There's no reason for it to you, you to not upset Putin. There's no reason for you uh, to oppose NATO membership or not to enter into this engagement of war because you're not getting natural gas from Russia. See, we made the decision for you. Do you see this bullying that's happening and taking place? So anyway, you know, I was, this, this thing I printed was so long that really I'm going to have to do another episode on it. Probably captain. I don't know. But, but, but the point is if you're an adult and you're looking at the situation, how dangerous it is, you have to look at what's best for America's interests. Okay. Um, you know, do, do one thing for me, captain, pull up photo two. John Cardillo posted this on, on, um, Twitter. If you have it. And I, I just thought it was really enlightening actually. So he, he says some math on the, uh, on the Ukraine scam. Our GDP is $23.3 trillion and our defense spending is $1.9 trillion, about 8 to 9%. Ukraine's GDP is $200 billion, right? Our GDP is $23.3 trillion. Our defense spending is $1.9 trillion, 8 to 9%. Ukraine's GDP is $200 billion, and we've given them $70 billion already for defense. That's 33%. Russia's entire global defense budget is 84 billion. So we've subsidized Ukraine's defense budget to 90% of Russia. The point is, we're putting and pouring so much money into Ukraine that it can't even possibly be used for defense. It's so far beyond what they can even use that it, it of course it's a money laundering scheme. Of course it makes no sense whatsoever. So, you know, I just Peace. Here's the thing. I mean, the the Democrats and the Biden administration and these these warmongers, they're making it seem like peace is not an option. Right. It's the same thing. Like we can't get out of this mess. Just you, you're poor. You know, the policies, you know, we got great policies, but this is your new normal. I mean, they, they, they're not trying to achieve a peace deal. And th- this is this is so stupid. It makes no sense for Americans. It makes no sense for the world security. I, I just. I can't believe that they want, to, they want to continue to escalate this thing like they are. We're the United States of America. We could force this meeting to happen. We could go in there and negotiate something, or Trump could, but not this administration, because for whatever reason that you're thinking of, they want war, and that's it. So, you know, you've got all these conflicting interests. And I, I just, I thought the left captain was opposed to nation building. I thought they were opposed to imperialism. And here we have like two decades of the United States of America meddling with Ukraine to try and shape its destiny, to shape its destiny. And he had Victoria Nuland interrupting. I mean, this is the thing too. Zelensky is a puppet. He's a puppet. All right. He's installed like every previous president in Ukraine. And the Ukrainian people are the ones that are suffering. They don't have any control over their destiny. They're being toyed with just like that girl that the Democrats took from the grand jury and put her on TV. And it's just shameful. It's really shameful. But anyway, as usual, Captain, I went long on some of the other stuff. Um, uh, You know, the, the, the J6 footage is coming out. And of course, we'll see that was a false flag operation. Um, the same people upset on the left that Tucker has the footage that he's going to edit it and try and put it in, you know, play with it. Well, these are the same people that hired the president of CBS news, former president of CBS news to put together episodic chosen selections of the J six footage. And he got to see it all, but Tucker can't see it all pound sand, right? All right, captain. That's it for today. We'll be back soon. 
Maybe tomorrow. I don't know. I'll figure it out. But uh, God bless you all. Thanks for tuning in. More to get into always. Uh, this is Drew Allen, your millennial minister of truth. Until next time. Talk to my friend Drew Allen. I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. Allen. As Drew Allen. Conservative. I look to this guy for wisdom.